This podcast is brought to you by Aetna. Learn how Aetna is working to build a healthier world by visiting aetnastory.com. Hi, it's Doro, and I'm so excited to announce that the Achieving Optimal Health Conference is just around the corner on October 26th at Georgetown University. For our Health Gig listeners, we have a special offer. If you sign up by September 20th, you'll get $50 off your ticket. Just go to AchievingOptimalHealthConference.com and use the code HEALTHGIG. Get ready to create a happier and healthier life story. People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. We are so happy to have Representative Tim Ryan join us from the great state of Ohio. He just announced his candidacy for President of the United States. How lucky are we to have this opportunity to speak to him. Trish and I admire Tim Ryan for so many reasons, including his leadership in the mindfulness field. Today, we're going to learn about that and more. Welcome, Tim. Thank you. I'm excited to be with you. We're so happy you're here, and we're excited about your candidacy. So how's it going? And tell us a little bit about that. It's been fantastic. I'm trying to forge a new politics. I think most people are pretty upset with the way things are going. And I think there is an opportunity for us really to change the questions that we're asking. I think people are tired of having the same conversation for 30 years or so, you know, and not getting off the dime on some of these really critical issues. And so I'm talking about and asking about our health as a country, not just health care. And we're talking about taking care of our kids when it comes to the education that we give them, not just about the tests that they have to take. And I think these big questions really start to shift the focus of what we're doing. And I'm excited about it because forging a new politics isn't always easy, but the American people are ready to start thriving again. I think people are tired of just surviving, working really hard and not able to get by. They're ready to thrive. And I think that's what we all want. We want our kids to thrive. We want our communities to thrive. So it's been exciting talking about my plans to help make that happen. And are people responding in a way that you expected? Yeah, it's been great. I mean, we're getting a lot of people, especially in the communities that have been trying to move us towards a more sane healthcare system, for example, and really recognize that 75% of our healthcare costs come from chronic diseases that are largely preventable. If that's where all the costs are, we need to start talking about how we get healthy and then how we build a healthcare system that really incentivizes health instead of the current system, which really incentivizes disease and getting sick and people then make a lot of money off of that. So people are really engaged. They love the conversation that we're having. I've been to Iowa a bunch and in New Hampshire a bunch, and people like that we're talking about real solutions. Same with education. We've had a lot of conversations with people around the testing, and we're talking about, look, these kids are coming to the schools in trauma. They have many adverse childhood experiences that no one's dealing with. And we think that if we just keep pushing tests in front of them, that it's somehow going to fix the problem. And it's not. So they enjoy and are very interested in the success of social and emotional learning programs. So people are starting to respond. And I really see this as an opportunity to really bring this new agenda, share it, invite people to be a part of it. And it's been going really, really well. In fact, we just ticked up in the New Hampshire poll. We've only been in the race for two weeks and we broke through the top 10 already when other candidates have been in since January. I think the message is starting to catch on. 
Tim, you'll be going probably up to Dixville Notch. <laughs> Trisha and I spent some time oh, yeah. in various campaigns in Dixville Notch, which is equally as important. As, yeah, because as Dixville Notch goes, so, so goes, goes the New country. Hampshire. Yeah, and the country. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I only read about it. Oh, it's really fun. It's fun. I think there are maybe 12 voters up yeah. there, but you need to go there. <laughs> Presidential campaigns are really stressful. How will you mindfully prepare and how will you make time for your practice? You know, I made a personal commitment to myself that I'm going to need to continue my daily practice that I have in order to make sure I'm sane throughout the whole process, trying to make sure I'm getting my exercise in and trying to get enough sleep, which seems nearly impossible on some days, really trying to take care of myself. Because if I'm not okay, then, you know, the message isn't going to be okay. And can't talk about people getting themselves out of fight or flight. And I'm living in fight or flight mode. Right. That doesn't seem real productive. <laughs> it's a commitment, though, really trying to stick to the practice. But again, I mean, I want to provide some example of not having everyone run around with their hair on fire at every turn, even though things can seem pretty challenging. If we're going to get out of this, it's going to be because we're able to come together. And, you know, you get stressed out, you can get a little more judgmental, and you can say things you don't want to say. And we all know that in our personal lives. And so hopefully we can set some example, too, about just respecting each other and listening to each other and not getting personal with each other, but really just talking about the issues that are important. But that starts with getting some quiet time every day for me. I've heard you talk about distractions being part of the practice. Can you elaborate on that? The practice of on your cushion or in your chair or in your yoga practice of having your mind take you somewhere that you don't necessarily want to go that can really most of the time be all made up pretend stuff and trying to come back to your breath and then when you get off the cushion going into the world especially in a heated political environment to try to keep your center in the midst of chaos and fear and anger and hate and all the other things that we're seeing is essential, I think, for a leader today, especially if you're the leader of the country. You know, the country looks to you. I mean, you think of Roosevelt giving his speech about fear, the fireside chats of, well, we're going to get through this. The center of the presidency is keeping the American people's mind on the tasks at hand. And so you've got to be, I think, extra focused especially in this environment that's changed really in the 15, 20 years I've been in Congress. It's got even crazier than when I started because of the media and everyone has a microphone or a bullhorn, it seems like. And they're not happy unless they're screaming in your face. Uh, So to have a leader that doesn't throw gasoline on that, but having a leader that helps take that temperature down, I think is going to be really important. So not getting distracted, not getting caught up in all of that is going to be really, really important for the next president. How did you get into meditation? I had a priest friend of mine. I grew up and went to Catholic school my whole childhood and was an altar boy. And the church was a big center of our community life. And I had a priest teach me centering prayer which Father Thomas Keating kind of helped bring that to our society. And it's based on a meditation techniques that Catholic monks did a thousand years ago or more. And so that was the entry point. And then I was just kind of infatuated with the whole thing. And as I was learning that, I kind of remembered in uh, Phil Jackson, the great basketball coach for the Chicago Bulls when I was growing up, 
he was using these techniques with his players. And then he went on to the Lakers. And so I thought, priest friend of mine's teaching me this. And like my favorite basketball coach is using it. There must be something to it, right? And uh, just went on and Deepak Chopra and Wayne Dyer. And then I met John Kabat-Zinn, who was really my first teacher. Wow. Did a five-day retreat with John. Yeah, and he just blew the top off my head. And that was it. I've had a daily practice ever since that retreat in 2008. He's amazing. He spoke at our conference one year. Trish and I just love him. Let's talk about Canton, Ohio. There was a mindfulness curriculum in a school and people thought it was too religious. Yeah, that was a few years back. It was a shame because it was having a lot of success. I went to the school. I met some people who were having problems with it. And it was really a religious thing for them. I remember the one parent or grandparent I talked to wanted to have a chapel in the school, in like a Christian chapel. So it was very much a religious thing. And I remember seeing the grass walking out of the school, of the test scores going up and the reading comprehension going up. It was really having a really positive effect. The people who have really been promoting it, I think of Laura Bakosh with the Inner Explorer program that she's doing, have gone to great lengths to sit down with people who would see this as something they're not sure of. Laura, for sure, would like go through the language of the practice of the training and really try to work with people that had concerns. And I think once they experience it, once you show up in good faith with an open heart, an open mind, you can make some progress. So I haven't heard much of it in the last few years. I have seen people have some initial conflict with some of these programs, but once they hear about it, they're dying down. When you're out there on the trail, are you talking about mindfulness or are you just being who you are and then people can ask questions about it? Yeah, I try mm-hmm. to just embody it the best I can. And, you know, people do bring it up at times on radio shows or interviews or I meet people who have my book and bring it around and want me to sign. We have all these alternative programs for vets, of which I talk about mindfulness-based stress reduction and yoga and other ways to help these veterans where they're still taking their own lives to the tune of 20 vets a day. So I talk about it in that context, but not trying to throw the word out there just to start something, but really talking about awareness and de-escalation and getting kids out of fight or flight and those kind of things, having a more mindful approach to things. The best part is when people come up to me, and even in Iowa and New Hampshire, these are like huge social and emotional learning states, not where they need to be, but there are a lot of teachers aware of it. And they know I talked about that a lot in my book. They're like, hey, we're ramping it up in Sioux City public schools, and we're just so excited that you're running and that kind of thing. So that's been really cool is like people come out of the woodwork to mention what they're doing. And I like that a lot. That's been fantastic. So nothing real overt, but, you know, if it comes up, I certainly talk about it. I've heard you talk about learning mindfulness as a social justice issue, that people see mindfulness not accessible to everyone. Can you talk about that? I really do see these contemplative practices and the issue of food as social Mm -hmm. justice issues. Kids in certain areas of the country, it could be a poor rural area or it can be a community of color in a city that when you know these practices help with the adverse childhood experiences, the trauma that they have, and we know about them, it's to me is a social justice issue. If these kids aren't getting the food they need, whether it's in school or in their neighborhood, that's a social justice issue. Because if you don't have a good diet and you don't have good mental health, 
then you're not going to thrive. It's going to be more and more difficult, nearly impossible for some of these kids too who have one, two, three adverse childhood experiences before they're even six, seven, eight years old. Really getting these programs down to the kids at that level, I think, is really going to be essential for us. It's one of my core missions. I have an urban Marshall plan I'm putting together. It'll include cleaning up blight and broadband and those kind of things, but it's also going to include urban agriculture and social and emotional learning in the schools. It's a real solution. I mean, you go in, you say, okay, more tests. You want to put 3D printers in. You want to teach kids to code. I mean, I get all that stuff. I totally understand it. I understand why it's important, but If we're not dealing with the underlying trauma that kids come to school with, when we know that over 50% of public school kids are low income, they're coming to school with all of the trauma that comes with being in poverty and being low income. If we're not going to have a national conversation today about dealing with that, we're going nowhere. You can have all the 10-point plans you want on around education. You don't deal with the trauma, we're stuck. Another issue with kids is the attention span issue, which is at an all-time high. I'm sure you're addressing the strategies that promotes focus and concentration in schools. Are you talking about that? Yeah, I think these practices, I mean, again, you've got to leave a lot of this to the local school districts to the extent you can, and people like local control. Right. But you want to be pushing programs that are encouraging some kind of practice for kids to work on their focus and attention span, the mental discipline, the ability to mobilize your attention. And what we've seen from the brain science, which I'm sure you all know about, if you're in fight or flight mode, you just don't have that level of concentration. If you don't have a good diet, you're not going to have that level of concentration that you need. And so we can talk about that. John Kabat-Zinn has the phrase that I've stole a million times. You know, we yell at our kids to pay attention, but we never teach them how to pay attention. And so we've got to teach them the how of paying attention. And that includes some of these practices. Like, I'm agnostic as far as what that practice could be. I mean, it needs to be evidence-based, and it needs to get you out of fight or flight, and it needs to allow you to access your prefrontal cortex. You know, it's got to work. I tease my friends who do crystals and everything. I said, you can't just give somebody a crystal and think it's going to get better. I mean, you got to give them a technique that's actually going to work. And then having resources and training behind the teachers and the counselors. This is my campaign. How do we get to the real solutions? Let's figure out what the real problem is. We know it's trauma. We know it's focus. We know it's concentration. We know it's their nervous system has been affected by the trauma they have. We know their diet's bad. Those are pretty fundamental things. I would hope that across party lines, we could agree that we should address those for kids and build that agenda around this forging of a new politics that I really like to screw people up to and say, okay, what's the coalition? Is that a conservative or is that a liberal thing? Who knows? We're taking care of our kids. Does that fall on the political spectrum? Hopefully everybody can agree on on that. Can you expand a little bit more about the Urban Marshall Program and how it does include the food for the children? It's really the big agenda item for transforming these communities that have been left behind. And I represent them, so I'm very frustrated at a lack of initiative to really dig into some of these communities who, through deindustrialization or through racism or whatever, have ended up stuck. I think the first thing we need to do is clean them up. I mean, there's so much blight in some of these communities. No one in America should have to live with dilapidated homes all around them. We can clean those up in a matter of a few years if we want to, cleaning them up in a way that's safe. And then building out an urban agriculture program 
a lot of these cities have shrunk or these neighborhoods have shifted. And so clean them up. Let's get some fresh food in there. Let's get some summer jobs in there. Let's extend the growing season with hoop houses and hot boxes and all of these things that can really help us get some good, healthy food and investments into these communities. Make sure the communities are wired. Make sure they have the high-speed internet, 5G, 4G, whatever we can get in there and work with the telecommunications companies to make that happen. And then through the schools, same thing. You know, how do you tie the urban ag program to the schools, to where we have school gardens and salad bars in our schools and social and emotional learning in our schools? And I have a bill called a modern day shop class, shop class 2.0, where we do have 3D printers and we get back to vocational training and financial literacy, like literally teach these kids how to live how to balance a checkbook, how to get a skilled trade or get at least enough credits to get you in the pipeline to be a welder or an electrician or something. You know, we're just building out the new economy, but you can't do that unless you have everybody participating. I tell people all the time, look, we're competing against, you know, 1.4 billion people in China and we only have 330 million. So we better have everybody on the field playing for us with the Team USA jersey on. Right. So true. To shift a little, you do something unusual on Capitol Hill. You host meditation sessions. And what inspired you to do that? Well, I just wanted to share it. I think like most people who've had the experience of some quiet time, increased awareness or focus that comes with the practice, that I wanted to share it. And I know that Capitol Hill can be a very toxic environment. It can be a very stressful environment. People don't make a whole lot of money there and they work long hours. So I wanted the staff to have access to it. And so it started with me inviting Sharon Salzberg or, you know, other teachers to Capitol Hill to teach some contemplative practice. But I also wanted to build it out. So just last year, we were actually able to stand up a house wellness center. Should be in the next few weeks here. We're going to have six or eight trained mindfulness-based stress reduction teachers that will actually be able to teach mindfulness to the people on Capitol Hill who work there. They're starting to work with the David Lynch Foundation, and they'll be teaching transcendental meditation to people on Capitol Hill. And they're sponsoring all kinds of information and diet techniques for people to focus on nutrition and their diet. They're doing morning runs where they're promoting exercise and running groups and yoga classes and all of that. So we got it actually established now because they hired an executive director. It's off and running. So I'm wow. you know, really, really proud of it. Congressman, who attends these sessions? I imagine the staff attends, but are there any representatives that attend? Yeah, there are some members, and now that we have the wellness centers kind of doing more of it now, but more and more, especially with this younger crop of people who have come into Congress, there's a new member from down in Miami, and she was an original member of Mindful Schools Miami. So there are people who are coming into Congress who have a personal practice. There's a handful of people who do TM. That's great, too, and they're doing a fantastic job. And it's been great, but we have had some members. I don't like to out any of them necessarily <laughs> publicly, but there's a handful of them that are out there practicing. And we've had people testify. I mean, you ladies would have been blown away. We're in a hearing a couple of weeks ago with the secretary of the VA, and he starts talking about yoga. 
as a therapy to help these vets. And I teased them. I said, I've been mentioning yoga and mindfulness for five years. I'm just glad I wasn't the first one to mention it. (laughs) To have the secretary of VA, but who's a younger man who's very bright. And I don't agree with everything he does, but he totally understands these therapies as something very, very helpful to veterans. So the culture is starting to change. And I Mm -hmm. hope that this campaign allows us to really speed things up because the clock's ticking. How does mindfulness help you with the current administration and in the position you're in? How does it help you react or not react? Yeah, I've really stopped reacting because it doesn't get you anywhere and seems that the behavior is not going to change. So you do get upset, I guess I should say, just not, not to hold on to it. What I'm trying to find are opportunities. I mean, there's some opportunities here to help educate the American people. Like, look, the president does have a lot of power. You see how important a presidency is in setting the tone for the country. That tone can be positive or it could be negative. It could be unifying. It could be divisive, depending on who's in the office. That awareness is really, really important. Budgets do matter, and it does matter how much money we're spending on things or not spending on things, or if our leaders are really paying attention to things and are they solving problems? I mean, not to get into a political discussion, but I don't blame Donald Trump for every problem in the country. A lot of these issues are structural, and we have not dealt with them, and they've been around before him. And so I think blaming him for those is wrong. I've got a lot of criticisms for not having a plan to get us out of them. What's the agenda? And so I think if you're blaming him for everything, then you lose credibility with a lot of people who know those problems were around before he got in. Having a personal reaction to him is really communicating to a lot of people, hey, I guess you really don't understand what the problem is because this was here 10 years ago or five years ago and Donald Trump wasn't even in the public eye at that point. So we think the time is right for a mindful president. What do you, like you. Like you. <laughs> what do you want people to know about how you'll lead? Well, from the heart, you know, really, I've represented a community my whole career in Congress where people were unseen and unheard. No one will be unseen or unheard with me. We're going to go campaign everywhere. We're going to be in a school tomorrow in Chicago that actually the David Lynch Foundation is doing work in. It's one of the toughest schools. Those kids, they're our kids. They're your kids. They're my kids. And they're having a tough go of it. And we're going to go there and we're going to pay attention to them. And, you know, not that I'm some savior, but we have things that can help these schools and these kids thrive. And we're going to go there and we're going to make sure they know that they're a part of this country like everybody else. Same with seniors who have lost their retirement. Same with people on Indian reservations and Native Americans and tribes that are not doing well and black kids in the inner city and white kids in the inner city and brown kids in the inner city and white poor kids in rural America. Everybody matters. And that's how I'm going to lead. We can't get anything solved if we don't pull the country together. Don't start respecting each other, seeing ourselves and other people. That's the kind of leadership I'm going to provide. And I think if we do that and come together, we can recapture the American spirit that I think everybody's longing for right now. Well, we know you have things to do and places to be. So we thank you for being on our podcast and we just wish you all the best. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Let's talk again soon. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well.